What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez. Got Rich Ivanowski on here as we always do. How are you doing, Rich? Um, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I can't complain. Um, just got uh, out of my orientation over at Sacramento B. Really excited to be there. I'm um, going to be bringing you guys uh, several King's articles. Happy to be there on the internship and uh, very excited. And very excited for our guest today as well. It is Chris Kirshner from The Athletic. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm doing well. How are you guys? We are doing good, man. We appreciate you coming on. And uh, what we wanted to start with here is, you know, the Sacramento Kings did just trade for Kent Bazemore. The full details of the trade, we've mentioned it before, is Sacramento sent out Trevor Reza, Caleb Swanigan, and Winyan Gabriel for Kent Bazemore, Anthony Tolliver, 2024 and 2025 second from Portland. Um, the main thing there, aside from the little bit of draft picks for Sacramento, feels like an Ariza for Bazemore swap. Uh, Bazemore mm-hmm. spent a majority of his career, uh, five seasons, in Atlanta. You know, generally, what type of player do you feel like Kent Bazemore is? Is he a three and D type of player? Do you feel like he's an initiator? Yeah, I mean, he's, he is a three and D player. Um, you know, he can definitely be an, an initiator. He's not the, you know, the, the, the one guy you'd probably want running your offense all, all the time, but I mean, he can have roles where, you know, he's having the ball, he gets the ball in the inbounds and, you know, calling out plays. He can be that kind of guy. Um, but I think what he brings when he is fully healthy, when he's really on his game is energy, effort. Um, he's definitely not going to be one of those guys who lollygags up and down the floor. He's going to give you 100% effort. I know he didn't really have the best start of the season so far for the Blazers. Um, you know, maybe a change of scenery will help. I'm not really sure. I mean, he, he really wasn't that great last season for the Hawks. He did battle an ankle injury, you know, but may, maybe, you know, with the Kings, um, you know, the Kings play a similar style of offense to what the Hawks run. So may, maybe he fits in better there. I don't really know. Um, I mean, all I can say is that his numbers really weren't that good for the Blazers. And maybe he kind of resorts back to um, the, the Baysmore he was prior to the ankle injury last year, where he was really efficient, was one of the best Hawks um, for, for Atlanta. Um, in that first half of the season. But, I mean, from what I've seen so far out of him this season, I, I don't know what to really make of Baysmore in his current state. Yeah, Brennan and I actually both grew up in the Bay Area. So um, I don't know if you remember this mm-hmm. Baysmore. I don't know if you remember the, the, the Baysmore of Golden State Warriors days, Brendan. But, yep. yeah, I mean, he was um, he was definitely a spark plug for limited minutes there. Um, went to LA briefly and then yeah, spent most of his career in Atlanta. I, I wonder, um, you know, I personally, I think that the, you know, this trade is more about other things than acquiring base more. It was the second round picks and, you know, for Portland to save some money on their tax bill. But one thing that Brendan and I kind of debated about was how capable Baysmore is at defending the three, if and when he needs to. And he has been put in that position a lot. What are your mm-hmm. thoughts on that when he's – let's just give the caveat that he's that he's healthy. Yeah, I mean, he's capable of defending the three. Would I want him defending the three 100% of the time? Probably not, just because he is, he's on the smaller end. 
both height-wise and weight-wise. Um, you know, the, when the Hawks were using him, especially in Lloyd Pierce's um, first season last year, which is the only season I covered Bazemore, but they were pretty much using Bazemore um, as defending other two um, twos. So I, I, I personally probably would have him in that kind of role. I don't know what the Kings are planning, planning to do if, if they want him um, defending threes. I mean, he definitely has the, the capability to do so, but I just don't think that's probably the best use for him on defense. I, I do think that um, he's much better defending other shooting guards, in my opinion. Yeah, and uh, I think that's totally fair. That's kind of what Rich and I were were thinking here, and it's interesting to see how Sacramento managed that with Bogdanovich in that second unit. Mm-hmm. Um, from an outsider's point of view, Bazemore seems very well-liked everywhere he goes from his teammates. Mm-hmm. Um, can you give us a little bit of insight from your interactions with him, uh, what type of personality he seems to be? Is he, is he outgoing, a little quieter from what from your interactions with him? Uh, he's definitely outgoing, um, super nice guy, definitely was beloved in the locker room, not only from this iteration of the current Hawks, but in the last one where the Hawks were you know, winning 60 games and you know, advancing into the playoffs, definitely a, an important member for the Hawks in the locker room. He's certainly going to be able to fit in nicely with the Kings, going to be able to provide that veteran leadership. And, you know, that's important for any team to have someone like that. And I think it's, you know, I've written about it a couple of times now on The Athletic, but, you know, the Hawks are really missing that veteran voice in the locker room, that, that one person who they can turn to is going to be positive, who's going to try to, you know, hype up the other guys when they need some hyping up. And, and Bazemore was that guy, and they're really missing that this year. And, and it is partly, you know, one of the reasons why there have been frustrating moments for the Hawks um, and Bazemore was one of those guys who, you know, I think Kevin Herter told me a few weeks back, you know, when the Hawks were really struggling, Bazemore would always be that guy in the film room saying, like, we're such and such games back from the AC. Like, we, we can make it. We can fight for it. And, like, they don't really have that this year. And I, I think that's um, – I, I do think that the Hawks missed that. And I do think that the Hawks, you know, really messed up with, with that trade. They traded for Evan Turner. Um, and Turner, I mean, he just hasn't worked out for the Hawks. He's going to be inactive for the foreseeable future. And I think they could have used someone like Bazemore because not only, I mean, yes, he's struggling this year, but he can definitely provide some value in spots. Um, and like I said, in that first half of the season last year, before he got um, his ankle injury, he was really, really good and effective. I don't know if there's been lingering effects with the ankle. I don't, I, I mean, I, I'm not around. I wasn't around the Blazers, so I can't really say whether or not it was still affecting him. But what I can say is when he when he is healthy, he definitely has value on the court. Yeah, uh, Bazemore definitely feels like a very likable guy. I know that I'm always partial to guys that are undrafted, come out of the G League. Um, you know, effort is at times an issue in Sacramento, um, and he seems like a kind of guy that is not going to be lacking in that department. Mm-hmm. Um, but you just mentioned Evan Turner. And by the way, Chris just uh, published an interview with Turner that was really interesting um, on The Athletic. But I want to ask about him very briefly because the Kings appear to be in a situation where Dwayne Dedman uh, is unhappy and is not really part of the rotation. And mm-hmm. he... It seems all indications are that the Kings are looking for a place to move him, and you know, scouring through everything uh, throughout the league, it really does seem like the best place for him to land could be back in Atlanta. And looking at Turner's contract, I know you mentioned in the article he could be a buyout candidate, but do you think there's a possibility um, that Deadman could be swapped for? Turner, I mean, you know, not try asking you if to report if this is something that's ongoing, obviously, but mm-hmm. in in general as a concept, the money doesn't quite work. But I want to just throw a fake trade at you and get your temperature on it. If the Kings sent uh, Deadman and say Yogi Ferrell to the Hawks for Turner and DeAndre Bembry, is that type of a deal something that the Hawks would be interested in with Deadman's remaining salary and years? Um, so, 
I would assume that there's probably going to have to be some sort of draft compensation involved if that was going to be the deal. Um, but I mean, I know that the Hawks are, you know, trying to move Turner's contract to, in creative ways. Um, you know, if, if they were to be able to move him before the deadline, I, I mean, they certainly would. Um, and I know Deadman, I, I've, I think I reported now like three ish weeks ago, but Deadman's a guy that they've been looking at. Um, they're, they're interested in bringing him back. Um, mainly because, you know, he did have success for the, with the Hawks. And, again, he was one of those voices in the locker room that was respected and outspoken. And um, he had no problems keeping the young guys in check. So, you know, I, I think if if Turner was, um, you know, the, the salary needed for Deadman, um, I think they would definitely um, have no qualms about moving Turner just because, again, he's not going to be playing for the Hawks for the first year foreseeable future he probably won't even be playing for them at all for the rest of the season unless um there are several injuries so I do think that Turner could certainly be involved in a deadman trade if that were to happen but the trade that you threw out uh Turner and Bemery um you know I, I would probably assume that there would have to be some sort of draft compensation included to make that happen yeah, and what are your thoughts on – I know that, if I recall correctly, the main reason Atlanta did not bring Deadman back was they did not want the additional years on his contract. Um, and he'd be right. making about $13 million, a little bit more uh, in each year. Atlanta's projected to have the highest cap space this offseason. Mm-hmm. How do you feel that that affects that? Because, I mean, they still would be looking at practically two uh, max contracts worth of cap space in this offseason with not a big talent pool. Yeah, so I think the the reason – well, the first off, the reason why they didn't want to bring Deadman back was they wanted to prioritize youth. They didn't want to give him a long contract. Um, they went into uh, that offseason thinking that Deadman was going to be able to get a you know fully guaranteed three- or four-year deal. Obviously, he didn't get that, um, you know, because that third year in Sacramento, only $1 million is guaranteed. So – you know, the money is not an issue for the Hawks. I mean, as you said, they're, they have the, the most cap space going into the summer. They're going to have over $70 million in cap space. So the money's not, not um, a hindrance to getting the deal done. I, I mean, I, the Hawks could get, essentially, if they wanted any deal done right now. Um, it's just a matter of getting the best deal for themselves. I mean, I know Denman would definitely – be impactful for the Hawks. The center rotation, Alex Len, Damian Jones, Bruno Fernando is arguably the worst one in the league. Um, Denman himself has not done well at all in Sacramento. Um, you know, again, maybe it's a change of scenery. Maybe he feels com- more comfortable in Atlanta and can be his old self. You just never know with these things. But, you know, I, I do think that because Denman's um, contract isn't um crazy at all he you know they, they're going to have to pay him the um, next year 13 million if they ended up trading him which again is not really an issue just because they have so much cap space the free agent pool this upcoming summer is not that great they're, they only have one con- uh one center under contract going into next season that's bruno fernando so they're going to have to address the position in some way um and i think having someone like deadman would definitely be beneficial for them it's just a matter of if they can find the right deal or not yeah and then going back to what you said about draft compensation just to clarify because you know honestly it could go either way with how Deadman how Deadman's been this year compared to previous years but you think that uh, would you say that that's more like a second round pick coming from Atlanta or do you think that they would be looking for a second round pick type of thing I mean I would assume that Atlanta would well I know Atlanta would want some sort of draft compensation I'm, um I don't know how much leverage they would have because Denman obviously wants to be out of there um I don't I don't know if, I don't know the Kings um situation at like the back of my hand but you know I, I would assume that they're trying to or they want to resign uh Bogdanovich this summer maybe losing 13 million um, off their books from Deadman would help. And if that's the case, then I would assume that the Kings or the, I mean, the Hawks would have to ask 
the the Kings to have some sort of compensation headed their way. Um, just because, again, if the Kings want to resign Bogdanovich, and I don't know what, what their plans are, but if they do want to resign them and that $13 million could help them, then I would assume that the Hawks would say, you know what, if, if this is something that's going to help you with resigning Bogdanovich, um, we would want at least some sort of draft compensation. And it's probably going to be a second-round pick if that's the case. Yeah, Sacramento does have seconds to throw out there. They're looking at four second-rounders in this upcoming draft and plenty more in the future, acquiring two more in that Portland deal. Um, and, you know, my final question for you, Chris, is – Atlanta's in an interesting situation because it doesn't feel like they should be buyers with their timeline um, and just being Mm -hmm. so young, but it seems to be uh, that that situation has almost come to that where they're the, what I've heard is they're trying to make Trey Young happy. Um, Do you get the impression that they are more of buyer or sellers at this deadline? I mean, the only piece I can see that you're really potentially selling would be like Jabari Parker, who is interesting with uh, his injury that's currently going on? Yeah, so, I mean, in a way, they are sellers. If you consider the fact that they're trying to unload their expiring contracts, I don't know if you would consider that to be, you know, the the definition of a seller. I mean, they would definitely trade Chandler Parsons, um, Turner, Alex Len, if they had some sort of partner that, that wanted, a, you know, a capable backup center. Uh, Jabari Parker is an interesting one. He would, he's probably the, out of all the expiring contracts, the one that would probably have the most value. But then again, he does have a player option next season. And with him being injured, um, you know, the Hawks said today that they're going to reevaluate him in two weeks. And perhaps a, a team across the league may not want to have uh, make that trade just because you don't know the extent of the injury or how serious it is. So I, I don't know if he'd be able to be moved. And it was the same uh, fact for Kent Bazemore last year at the trade deadline. You know, the Hawks were trying to trade him last year at the, at the deadline, but he had that in- ankle injury and, and, you know, no team wanted him um, after that. So it's, it's going to be interesting. I mean, making Trey Young happy is, is a priority for them. They're not going to trade any of the young core pieces. Uh, I've already been told that unless they have some sort of crazy deal that they can acquire a superstar, they're not going to trade Trey, obviously, John Collins, Kevin Herter, DeAndre Hunter, or Cam Reddish. Those guys are not going to be included in any deal, but everybody else on the roster um, you know, is definitely fair game. And you know, I think for the Hawks, Again, we, we talked about it. Uh, you know, they have over $70 million in cap space this upcoming summer, and there's really no player out there who's worthy of a max contract. I mean, obviously, if the Lakers somehow messed up with Anthony Davis and he wasn't available, then, of course, you're going to offer him a max contract, but that's not happening. So there really isn't anybody out there who's deserving of a max contract and the Hawks have to spend this money somehow. So maybe they do get creative and and try and find um, pieces around the league that they can creatively spend their money on instead of just trying to do it through free agency. Um, I mean, what I can say is that the Hawks are definitely going to be one of the more interesting teams to watch at the deadline and, and this summer, just because of all the money they have, they, they have all their draft picks. They have other draft picks from other teams. So the Hawks could definitely be um, big movers at the deadline and in free agency this summer. All right. Well, we will definitely keep an eye on them. And we might need to have you back on and discuss uh, Evan Turner and Travion Graham or Damian Jones or whoever, if that trade ever does come to fruition. But for now, we want to thank you for your time. And uh, we'll head to a commercial break before talking more things. Are you currently paying off student debt, interested in improving your financial literacy, or looking for new ways to earn income in today's ever-changing digital landscape? Well, on the Talk Money with Mesh Lakani podcast, Mesh will follow paper trails, chat with experts, and break down complex ideas to bring clarity to the mystical financial phenomena. Each episode will be filled with compelling stories covering a broad range of subjects, from buying Bitcoin, dealing with student debt, and everything in between. 
Listen to Talk Money with Mesh Lakani on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and learn how to spend, invest, and earn for today's economy. So we're looking at another losing streak. We're at five games right now for the Sacramento Kings, starting off 0-2 on this road trip. And Rich, uh, Bagley has played center these last two games. We know Holmes being out is a big factor here. But Sacramento is now five games behind the Memphis Grizzlies in the eighth seed. I mean, second to last in the Western Conference. If we're talking that percentage in confidence of making the playoffs, how low is it at at this point? Um, it's essentially zero for me. I think that, yeah, I think it's over. I'm, I'm ready to call it over. I, because we can say that they're five games behind uh, the eighth seed, but, you know, <clears throat> maybe more importantly, they're, they're three and a half games out of a, a top three lottery pick, a top three uh, draft pick. They're, they're six games out of the worst team in the league. Like, if you look at it the other way, they're they're just as close to being the worst team in the league as they are to being a playoff team. So, yeah, I, I don't really uh, – I'm pretty much at zero. Yeah, that's fair. I, I'm going to be a little more optimistic here, as seems to be the case. I'll go like 5%. But, yeah, I, I totally understand where you're coming from. And at this point, you have to think that it's more beneficial to – uh, to start looking at the draft. I think that definitely in the near future here, we're going to have a draft expert on maybe Bryant West or someone else that does a lot of research uh, with the upcoming guys and kind of see what Sacramento could be looking at with this pick with, you know, the season seems to be coming to that point somewhat already. And if you're talking about not making the playoffs, do you, would you want Sacramento to consider you know, going, becoming full sellers at this point and mainly looking at like Bielitsa um, as a potential guy that we've mentioned. Uh, I know on the last episode, I kind of shut it down and then slept on it and liked your idea of him going to Boston. Um, and, you know, maybe that Milwaukee first, which is the very last pick in the first round, or if you could package some of these seconds as well and try to move up to the first, do you start to consider moving on for Bielitsa? Well, yes. I mean, as I said before, I think, I mean, if it's a first round offer, yeah, you, you, I think that the Kings do take that pick, but, but realistically explain to me where you're at from a Celtics perspective where that makes sense for them because you, you didn't see it at first. What, what has changed? Where, how does it make sense to you from their perspective? Um, you know, actually I hadn't been watching the Celtics as closely this season. So I had to Good. go do, uh, I know I can't. Well done. <laughs> so I had to go and do a little bit of my own research as well and talk to some people over there. And I mean, really what they're missing is any sort of consistent offense off the bench, anyone that can be consistent off of the bench and Bielitsa definitely can be that guy. And I think that that Milwaukee first is a really good thing to eye there since like I mentioned, I mean, it's going to be the very last pick of the first round. Um, And the reason I think that also is more considerable is that Bielitsa does have that second year. Um, I, I think that's a really big, reason as to why uh, Boston would really consider this to have him around for a second year that is non-guaranteed as well. And it would be like Vincent Poirier and Shemi Ojale. Yeah. Um, hmm. I guess I just wonder, we know that Bielitsa has concerns defensively. Do you think that the Celtics have enough around him to, to hide that? Um, I think that the Celtics defense this year is kind of rough in general. I know that you would like to kind of try to fix that, but I don't think any certain trade piece you're going to get is really going to be a defensive anchor at this point. Um, So I, I think that the Celtics are in a way where they're just trying to improve in any way possible. I think that they think they have a chance to go all the way this year. Um, So I don't think that they're necessarily hiding his defense, but I think that what he brings on the offensive end is enough there. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I, from, I don't know the Celtics well enough to understand it. I get that the flexibility is nice with the non-guarantee. I know that they have issues in the big man department. I don't know that Bielita necessarily solves those issues, but it's mainly um, just the bench. Like after once you move to the bench of the Celtics, it, it's terrible fast. Like you have Marcus Smart, and then uh, I guess Ennis Cantor, and nothing else. Yeah. Do you think that he's enough to power a, a solid bench unit? Um, I think enough that they won't go through these dry stretches of not not having a way to score out there. I mean, a part of the reason also is that there have been little injuries here and there to all four of the main scorers in Tatum Brown, Hayward Walker. Um, so you're not always able to stagger those guys um, if some of them aren't available. So yeah, I, I do. I don't think it's, it, this would be something that would be done on the day of the deadline when Boston realizes, okay, we don't have anything uh, better on the table, which it, this isn't necessarily them settling for this, but I, because I do think this would benefit them uh, more, really more than the Milwaukee first would. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, I think that makes plenty of sense. It's just when you consider that the 30th pick is essentially a second round pick with guaranteed money that's really not that attractive of an asset for a team like the Celtics that isn't really hunting for projects. They're not really looking for another young project. They've got 10 guys with guaranteed money uh, next, uh, guaranteed contracts next season. Then on top of that, Tice, Cantor, Ojale on, on various options and, uh, uh, non-guarantees so I mean that the team and then they've got three draft picks three first rounders so it might just make sense for them and going back to the Kings yeah I mean I, I don't see why you wouldn't take a first it's not the most exciting pick in the world but I don't know that Bielitsa is going to be around long enough and good long enough to fit in with whatever you know, playoff team contender, like what the theory of any team is to build a contender. And I don't know that the window for that fits with Bielitsa. So I would do it. What do you think? Yeah, I would as well. I mean, like you're saying, I don't think that the Kings are doing anything we mentioned this year already. And next year, I mean, realistically, I don't think he's the best fit next to Bagley. I think that the defense is horrendous there. We saw it a little bit in that Miami game and, yeah, I mean, you definitely would take what you could get for it and, you know, say they're able to package if they were to get that Milwaukee pick and some of the second rounders, they could maybe move up a little higher if they were interested in doing that. Um, you know, one other hypothetical I want to throw at you for Bielitsa that interests me is uh, the Sixers were really close to signing Bielitsa. I want to say that they almost had verbally agreed and then Bielitsa backed out and said he was going to go overseas, then sign with the Sixer and then sign with the Kings. Yeah, I believe they did have an agreement and and he did he did uh back out of it. And yeah. it was going to go overseas and Vlade Vlade got him back. Yeah. And I think Bielitsa is pretty much a direct upgrade to Mike Scott. Um and the Sixers have a very interesting OKC first rounder that is protected 1 to 20. Um, so, and after that point becomes two seconds in 2022 and 2023. Right now, OKC is uh, 18. And like I said, 1 to 20 protected. It more than likely would convey to those seconds. But would you consider a Mike Scott and that 2020 protected OKC first that would go to two seconds for Bielitsa? Um, at that point, I'm not sure where, where is, uh, Oklahoma sitting in terms of the draft right now? I, I wonder, I um, have them at 18th. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. I, I guess they're not that, that 
far off. They'd only be, yeah, I mean, they're only three games out of a position where that could convey into a first. Uh, but you would think the they're kind of overperforming right now and have potential to sell also, right? Right. Well, I think that that is the odds. Regardless, even if they're performing at the level they're supposed to be, the odds are still that that's turning it into two seconds. And, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the Kings just have so many seconds that I don't know if that moves the needle at this point. Yeah, I think that is uh, that is totally fair. And, yeah, um, you know, and then maybe if you get to off season, I had like a hypothetical uh, Utah one as well. I know Utah had a uh, offer on the table for Miritich that I believe was three years 45, and they're somewhat comparable players. But the reason you'd have to wait for this potential Utah first uh, would be that it has protections on it because of the uh, it being involved in the Conley trade. It's one to seven protected and fifteen to thirty. So if it's anywhere um, in that range, which it will be, then Utah would be holding on to it. And in the offseason, you could look at something like Bielitsa and and then combining some seconds, like uh, maybe Detroit and Sac one for Ed Davis money works, and then Utah's first something along those lines. Um, but, I mean, once you reach the point of the draft and these picks are locked in, I'm sure that you start to – and you really, at that point, people will know what they're looking at at certain points of the draft, which is a little more foggy right now. Yeah, that one feels like a little more of a stretch. Miritich, I get what you're saying, but he was significantly younger. He's averaged, you know, 15 points a game for the majority of his career. Um, and then on top of that, like you said, that wouldn't happen until the offseason. At that point, I think that that pick does have more value than just, you know, at, at that point, there's no, you're, you're missing this whole second half of the season plus playoffs of value and Bielitz's value really plummets because you're only getting him for one playoff series, one playoff run, one postseason you know, plus the option of another one. But at that point, it's just like, well, you get the right to either keep him on board or not. And that it gets, it gets muddy to me. Yeah, totally fair. Um, Just kind of throwing things out there. And then the last thing I wanted to ask you, I saw that you had mentioned this on Twitter and it makes sense to me as well. Uh, You think that we should kind of keep an eye on and maybe, expect or there's a good possibility that yogi could be on the move right just from your own speculation this isn't any word that you had heard or anything but just making sense he's a he could be a serviceable backup point guard and some teams do not have that yeah he's an interesting guy i don't know that he's even a backup point guard because he's just he's really just a a super undersized off ball guard um so I don't know. I, I don't know. I've never really seen him as a as an excellent facilitator. But, yeah, I mean, that type of guy is interesting and has been valuable before. I wonder – I the, the reason – the main reason I thought about it is that the Kings, having moved on – and I mentioned this briefly in last episode and threw it out there uh, as, as a potential trade to Chris Kirshner. But – you know, the Kings, now that they've moved Swanigan and Gabriel, they just don't have guys that are on teeny tiny contracts, except for Justin James, who does not seem to be going anywhere. I don't. I think the Kings are not interested in moving him. I mean, he's on a super small deal, and he has shown upside, and he's super young. It You know, it makes sense to keep him. So really, it's Yogi Ferrell and Harry Giles that are the two um, – small contract guys that might be used as matching salary and deals, but I don't think they're going to go necessarily shopping uh, Yogi by himself. I just think that they could be used in, in trades. Interesting. Yeah. And I mean, it, because if you were to shop Yogi, what are you really getting? You know, like I I think of Minnesota, they just got rid of uh, Jeff Teague and are currently starting Shabazz Napier, who's somewhat comparable to Yogi. And then just, don't really have a backup to, you know, straight up for Noah Vonley would work. Um, but that doesn't benefit the Kings in any sort of way, really. Um, it, it, yeah. I, I, so just throwing ideas out there. Um, but 
that was most of what I had here for you, Rich. Is there anything else that you wanted to touch on? Well, you mentioned going all out and being sellers. Does that was that the way you phrased that? Was that just referring to guys like Bielitsa and Yogi, or are you talking about you know Bogey? Are you talking about? I was keeping the core out of it. Um, you, you put out a tweet the other day. If I, if people were comfortable with that core, I still am. I, I still think that's the core to go. The one on the questionable for me is Buddy, um, and he's obviously just having a really rough year. Uh, but I am, I am comfortable with that core. What were your thoughts on that core? Because you were the one that presented that question. The King's Pulse podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor. It is the easiest way to make a podcast, and it is 100% free. It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional, and upload it all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform. They give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. This was kind of a fun way to get out of watching a, a pretty bad loss. This was, I believe this was the night that they were getting beat. It's kind of throughout three different polls um, regarding this core. And if the, you know, if they, if fans want the team to retool or, you know, blow it up or keep everyone together, whatever, whatever. Um, and it's pretty interesting results. I think I'll just share them briefly. Um, I just mentioned that the core, by the definition of this poll, and I think the, the general common consensus is the core is Fox, Heald, Bogdanovich, Barnes, and Bagley. Um, and just mentioned that that group of five players is likely to be uh, like above the salary cap but below the luxury tax line for the next three and a half seasons, meaning that we could just keep them all together. The Kings could just keep that five. Um, but they can't add much else to it other than whatever draft picks they get, you know, um, exception signings, that sort of thing. Uh, so yeah, I asked, do you want that core for the next 3.5 years or blow it up and retool? And it was really, really close. 51% want to blow it up. 49% want to keep it. And that's out of almost 1200 votes. Interesting. Yeah. And I mean, we've said this plenty of times. I'm sure we're going to say it again over and over is that that really falls all on the shoulders. The peak of that core all falls on Fox and Bagley and Bagley being more of the X factor seemingly because Fox seems like he's already developing into a star. It's funny. I thought you were going to say that all falls on the shoulders of Luke Walton, which I think is perhaps even more yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it does. That's that's who's going to be orchestrating the time that all these guys are out there. And right now, the way things are looking, I don't know how comfortable I am with anything orchestrated by Luke Walton, but who knows? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's some different changes that would need to take place. I think that the capabilities of those players and the fit that they would all have next to each other uh, could work totally fine writing out, out with those five guys. Um, and that does kind of have Bagley as a center. And like I said, he's played, started at the center position the past two games. His defense has been questionable. But in Miami, you know, this is kind of what we more so expected of him, a 15-15. We know that he can get boards and be a force on the offensive uh, glass and uh, a little bit of isolation at times. But Yes, uh, you have a good point that a lot of it rides on the shoulders of Luke, and I can't say I feel comfortable with that. Yeah, it's tough right now. It's a tough look. 3-14 and 14 over the last 17 games. I mean, I think that it is overwhelmingly obvious that Luke is, is, is struggling, is doing a bad job with this team. Uh, that could change. I don't know, but it's just – I mean, look at the wins and losses – However, I fully agree with you that, you know, and I even I, I gave my own opinion on this on this poll as well a little bit later on. I really do believe that those five players are a perfectly 
perfectly good core. Uh, and I think that you could with, you I mean, you, you keep those five together and you, you know, get an, I mean, you keep, you have Rashawn Holmes on his exception deal. Maybe in the next year or two, you land another nice signing on a small exception. Maybe in the next year or two, you hit on one or two of your draft picks. And then, I mean, that's how you build a good enough team. I think that that group is good enough to be a very legitimate playoff team, especially as Fox and Bagley grow. Um, and yeah, I mean, to me, I think you, you just rock with it and it's tough because it, it, that will never work if the coach doesn't get his players up to their full potential. But yeah, I think you rock with it. And then, you know, I, there was so, like I mentioned it, it, the blow it up option did win that poll just by a hair. So I asked of that group, who would you want to trade first? I excluded Fox because A, there's only four options on a Twitter poll, and B, from all my mentions, no one had mentioned Fox. And Buddy Heald was far and away the winner of that, followed by Harrison Barnes. Then Marvin Bagley third, interestingly. Dead last, Bogdan Bogdanovich, which A, is super sad because like he's probably the most likely to go. And B, is pretty surprising because I – I don't know. I don't think that would have been the answer if if Buddy Heald weren't playing terribly. Yeah, I don't either. Uh, last year, even at this point of the year, this definitely would not have been the answers that you were getting. But I mean, I'm kind of feeling in the same boat here. Uh, I, I like Barnes a little bit more. I think he's he's really struggling right now, um, not even being out there in the closing minutes uh, on the offensive end in Miami's overtime loss is. Um, is interesting choosing be elites over him offensively understand that but he's struggling a bit here yeah I mean Buddy is like I said the first guy that I would consider there as well and and Bagley I mean Bagley is just a guy that the Kings are going to be patient with they're not going to do anything with him Um, you know this is the guy that they did pick over Luka Doncic and they are definitely riding with that and sticking with saying that they do think that that still could be the correct choice and Bagley's just going to take some time and and Bagley is a very raw prospect I I think he's going to take three years before you really start to see um, a positive impact on the floor which is rough to say but I I think that's just the type of prospect that you have in Marvin Bagley I agree I agree and I want to ask the final question I put out there to you, this is a super hypothetical question, so this might be really interesting to try and answer. But going with that keep the core versus blow it up philosophy, uh, I put this question out there. Would you rather the Kings make the playoffs, the next five playoffs, so five straight seasons of playoffs, but you're, they're guaranteed to never make the finals in that five years. So you know this. This is kind of like a genie's genie in the bottle situation. Like, you're going to be granted one of these scenarios. Okay. Kings get the playoffs five straight years, but you know for a fact they will not make the finals. Um, and you're not given any guarantees about what happens to the team after those five years. Or the Kings miss the playoffs for the next five playoffs, but then you are guaranteed to have a legitimate contender. There's no guarantees of a championship win, but you've you've got a contender. This is a contender let's say a top four projected team in the league oh interesting um yeah so i mean those first five years it's almost at they they weren't even contenders like it's like you know first second round exits right yeah i mean let's say you know like you know it it could go either way but but never never let's just say yeah like on average a good showing in the first round or uh you know a, a second round exit at best yeah, I mean, I'd have to go with being a championship contender. It's a long way down the line, and maybe I'm saying that because I haven't suffered through these 13 years uh, as many Kings fans have. But I, I think if if you could be a top four team in the league, then you really are in that elite tier. And you would think that you'd be able to hold on to the core that has you there for a little while. Well, the reason I asked this question is that's kind of the mentality of blow it up or keep the core. Obviously, both of these scenarios are probably better than, you know, they're better than what's guaranteed in either direction for the Kings, right? 
if they decide to keep everyone together, there's certainly no guarantee they're going to make the playoffs the next five years, even if we're saying first-round exits, whatever. There, and then also, you know, if they decide to blow it up a little bit, there's definitely also no guarantee you're going to have a contender in five years. So these are kind of, these are kind of the options. And I'll say for myself, I disagreed with the public who wanted 59% agreed with you wanting that drought, but then getting a, con- a contender. I think that's insane. Low key. I think that for a team that's missed, you know, the play, I mean, if you, for being as bad as the Kings have been for so long to willingly say, you know, let's make it 20 years between playoff appearances is yeah. wild. It's completely wild to me. Um, I think that this team, this city, this franchise needs a playoff appearance more desperately, honestly, than they need to have a contender. So, I mean, that's, that's just my, that's my take. And I guess it's a, it's a hot take, but I think this team desperately, desperately needs a playoff appearance. No, I think that's a good point. I think that there's a few teams, like you're saying, that it does make sense to pick that making the playoffs for five years. You look at like a Minnesota that just got over their playoff drought just to get destroyed in the first round of the playoffs. Um, But, you know, teams that are used to some success would definitely have no problem waiting those five years. So I do think you have a really good point. Um, And really, I mean, you look at these, these next three games of this road trip, you're playing Detroit, Chicago, and Minnesota. I mean, they're all on the road, but these are all bad teams. These are all teams that I would say are on the level of the Kings. Uh, It's a combined 47 and 85 record of those three teams if if Sacramento manages to drop all three of these, I am starting to watch some Anthony Edwards and Cole Anthony. Like I am really starting to look at top of the draft at that point. I, I think that these next three games are really going to do a lot for the emotions of Kings fans. Yeah, and I think the Miami game did a lot. I mean, the Kings had an eight-point lead in the fourth quarter and and lost the game to a Miami team that, you know, was missing their best player. Yeah, you know, the thought crossed my mind is how funny would it be if the first player to make an all-star team from the Kentucky team that was led by Fox of Malik Monk, Bam Adebayo, and De'Aaron Fox, the first guy out of that could be Bam Adebayo to make an all-star team. Yeah, that would be... That would be pretty grim. That would yeah. be pretty grim. So, but yeah, do we dare? You know, I, you know I'm going to make you do it. How many wins out of these next three games? Um, I don't. I don't really care. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to feel about this. I don't know how to. I don't know if that's going to be offensive to people. I don't know if that's going to lose me credibility. Uh, as someone who writes about basketball, I don't know if that's going to gain me credibility as someone who's not trying to predict the future. I don't know what that is going to do, but I can't bring myself to like care about that. So I think that they'll, they'll win or they'll lose these games and I'll watch them and I'll tell you what I think about them. But whatever part of me wanted to predict wins and losses for this team is, has gone. It has left me. That is totally fair. Uh, that was an expert job of avoiding that question. And yeah, I mean, this year is, I mean, it kind of always was on the development of Fox and Bagley, like we said, but Kings fans had high hopes after seeing uh, a competitive end of the season to try and fight for that playoffs. And then when you signed what seemed like win now, uh, off-season players and Corey Joseph Deadman and Trevor Ariza you expect to improve and obviously going in the opposite direction here um, is a rough one I don't think you're the only one that is having trouble caring about this team right now but yeah I think soon we're definitely going to need to get someone on here and talk through the draft because that could be something that gets us a little bit excited here yeah. Um, yeah. I was going to say the same thing. Like, I don't, I don't know why you wouldn't already be thinking about Anthony Edwards and all that. I mean, I guess maybe you don't think about the number one pick in the draft. Cause the, even that feels like that's not going to happen. It feels like the Kings will, I mean, that's the reality. Like we talked about them being five games out of the eighth seed and being six games out of the worst place 
team in the entire league, you know, the, the reality is they're probably going to end up in that worst place possible where they never get into the playoff race and yet still manage a late lottery pick. Yeah, and sometimes there's hits there. I, I know people aren't going to have confidence in Sacramento's front office to to hit on those. but Well, and especially this draft, right? Right. Uh, yeah, the talk is that the talent pool is not very, not very good at the top of this one um, when you're looking in the lottery, that maybe there's interesting rotation players later. But yeah, when you're talking lottery, uh, definitely from what I've heard, this draft is very underwhelming. All right, well, we'll start looking at it. Uh, maybe, not, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but I think let's say uh, after the trade deadline passes feels like a good appropriate time to do that. That's fine by me. And, yeah, part of the complication is that there's one, two, three, four, five teams in the East that are worse than Sacramento. Uh, that, that bottom of the East is definitely rough there. So, yeah, I mean, I – Probably at this point, I'm more so hoping for a high draft pick just because that seems more realistic than making this playoff run. So, But I think that's going to do it, Rich. You got anything else? No, that's it, man. I think it's, uh, it, it is an all-time – I don't know if all-time is correct, but it is a, it is a season low for the Kings. And, and with the amount of years that it's been since the playoffs, it's, it's got to feel like an all-time low for some fans, especially coming off of – a really encouraging season last year. Um, yeah, I don't have anything to really say right now. I think what's going to be most interesting for me personally is going to be any moves being made at the deadline. You know, things could always change. I agree. I will amend my earlier statement uh, when you asked about playoff odds. I will amend it to 1% because I have been on that for a long time. I think that it's, it takes a lot to get to 0%. So I'll say there's a 1% chance. And aside from that, I'm going to be watching the trade deadline carefully. I've got that Deadman trade piece finally coming out uh, at the Sacramento Bee tomorrow morning. And um, I don't know, maybe I'll, maybe we should talk more about potential Bogdanovich trades because it doesn't seem impossible. I'll just say that. It doesn't seem impossible. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll dive into that a little bit later. And thanks again for Chris Kirsch. Two thanks, Chris. Oh, wow. Thanks again to Chris Kirshner for coming on earlier in the episode. Um, nice to hear that Baysmore sounds like a good locker room presence and, and hearing that he's not going to be one to kind of jog up the floor. Uh, I definitely could see in my head moments of Trevor Ariza definitely being guilty of that. So, you know, I'm hopeful that it'll be a little bit of an upgrade here. Um, at least maybe just a little bit of good spirits going on this season. But everyone be sure, Chris did just come out with a great piece interviewing Evan Turner. Evan Turner is a hilarious personality. Um, great interaction there that you should go check out and follow Chris as well at Chris Kirshner on Twitter. But that is going to do it for this episode of the King's Pulse podcast. Thank you to everybody for listening, and you'll hear from us again in the next couple of days.